Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Hello, I'm Elaine Crookshanks, and welcome to FBS 19 Conversations podcast. This is part of a series where we speak with leading experts in the health sector about the most pressing issues and the brightest ideas in EU health policy. Today, we are discussing the proposal for a regulation on a reinforced role for the European Medicines Agency. Just a small bit of context before I introduce our speakers. For those who may not know, the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, is an agency of the European Union based in Amsterdam, and it's in charge of the evaluation and supervision of medicinal products. The proposal to revise the EMA was made by the European Commission as part of something called the European Health Union Package in November of 2020. And there's current discussions underway between the main institutions, the European Council, European Parliament and European Commission itself. And these seem to be coming to a conclusion. One of the key proposals that the Commission has put forward includes the creation of an executive steering committee on shortages and safety of medicinal products, so-called Medicine Steering Group. And this will continuously monitor any event that is likely to lead to a major event or a public health emergency. Among the issues that will be in the scope of the steering group are shortages, a list of critical products, accelerated scientific advice process, and review of clinical trial protocols in situations of an emergency. So that's the background. I'd like now to introduce the protagonists, the people who are going to give us some insights as to where this is going. First of all, I'd like to introduce Michel Stoffel, who's Senior Advisor, Global Regulatory Affairs at GSK and the Chair of the Regulatory Working Group at Vaccines Europe. And Michel has over 17 years of experience at different positions in GSK in regulatory affairs. He's held the positions of Head of Clinical Regulatory and Labelling, Head of Early Portfolio and head of the European region. He is also certified in nuclear medicine and has substantial experience in clinical research from the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium. Hello, Michel, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Elin. Um, secondly, I'd like to introduce Isabel Bekarujan Ding, who's head of microbiology division at the Paul Ehrlich Institute, the German regulator, and she holds multiple offices, including member of the CHMP, Vaccines Working Party at the European Medicines Agency. Isabel holds a PhD equivalent in immunology from the University of Heidelberg in Germany. Hello, Isabel. Hello, Ellen. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for taking part. And what I'd like to do with both of you, perhaps, is if you could give us some initial thoughts on the Commission's proposal to revise the EMA and what it could mean for vaccines in particular. Michel, shall I turn to you? Yes, thank you, Ellen. Uh, I think the first reaction when we saw the proposal from the Commission was to welcome it. I think the proposals makes a lot of sense, for instance, with the creation of the uh, ETF, as you said, so the emergency task force. However, um, our reaction was also that we have the impression that more could be done. And so we hope that in the future, the revision of the pharmaceutical legislation will also address some specific needs for the development of products for emergency situations. And I guess we can come back to that later. Thank you. Isabel, can I turn to you? What's your response to the proposal and how it will help for vaccines? 
Well, I think that this is a very important step and that you need to see the whole package, basically. So you have EU pharma strategy, you have a revision of the EMA mandate, but you also have potentially a stronger role for ACDC in Europe. And if you look at all this together, it just shows that there is a real intention to strengthen this area and to take the learnings from the pandemic and try to have a little bit more strategy behind the regulation and show how these learnings could actually translate into maybe more rapid and response and use some of the tools potentially also that we have implemented in the pandemic. Just on that point, maybe in the context of the pandemic, what does the proposal mean, the EMA proposal in particular, mean for getting safe and effective pandemic medicines through the regulatory process as efficiently and quickly as possible. What concrete things is it bringing forward, Isabel? I think one of the aspects that Michelle had already mentioned is, of course, the clinical trials. And you've seen under the pandemic that there was a lot of willingness to harmonize clinical trials. And I think this is being carried forward into this new strategy. Also, the implementation of the ETF to have it available, to have it functional. I think that is very important issue that are learning really from the pandemic, that this can work and that this is helpful and it will be part of preparedness, but it can also become part of our usual dealing with clinical needs that are beyond the pandemic. Great. Alicia, you gave us some points already. I mean, do we therefore need a new emergency agency, the HERA, if we have a reinforced ECDC and EMA in your view? Yeah, so I think here I will be certainly critical. I mean, we mentioned also the reinforcement of the role of ECDC. So all of this has to be seen as, you see, a single package. However, what we believe is that certainly regulators playing a critical role. And for instance, things that we would like to see is a more active role of EMA within ERA. Based on documents we have seen so far, the role of EMA will be more an observer role we think that ultimately the objective when we develop product is to make sure that the products are approved by regulators that they are receiving marketing authorization. And for that purpose, I think what we would like to see is a more active contribution of EMA just to make sure that ultimately the products which are highly needed are reaching the people who have to be vaccinated. Yeah. One of the things I understand member states and others have been worried about is that we have a new agency, we have the existing agencies. How do they work together more effectively? I mean, you've given one instance there that the EMA should be more implicated, for instance, in HERA. Are there other ways that we can ensure that they work consistently together, in your view? In my view, what is certainly critical is to learn from the current crisis. The current crisis has shown that Authorities have really done their best to facilitate the approval of vaccines, but it was in a quite reactive mode. The system was not fully prepared. And so basically, if there is, I think, a key learning is that preparedness should happen between crises and preparedness should not only be focused on the European system. We see that we are facing a global issue. And so what will be certainly key is that European authorities, regulators like EMA play also a role at international level in order to make sure that there is a faster and more harmonized global response. And so in that context, I think of working between crises, of course, there will be a need for a good collaboration between the different agencies. 
And Isabel, you have the privilege of working both at German level and EU level. What, from your perspective, could be done to make things work more effectively? I think that strategic point about planning was one of your key issues, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you need to understand what the reaction is in such a situation. And I think this really caught us unprepared. Um, There has, of course, been other pandemics, but a situation like this was really new. And I think now is the time to really think about what would the measures be? What are the concepts and what are the communication pathways? And I'm, I'm not so worried, actually, about that Hera and Emma wouldn't be interacting. I think this is something that has to be established. It is key, of course, for success. But it is also very relevant that we define the tasks and that we basically define what has to be improved and the regulatory and what can be the supportive action, basically, of Hera, maybe to help to facilitate the process. But I still think that it is good to separate these entities just for neutral purposes to avoid any kind of conflict of interest. Super. Thank you for that. So one of the things that the proposal puts forward is an EMA emergency task force. How can we ensure that that task force has the right expertise, including the adequate number of experts on vaccines in particular within the European network so that we can get the right expert information that the task force needs? I think this is something that is extremely important and it has to be built. So we already have the Vaccines Working Party. We have experts in the member states that are working for EMA. And I think we should strengthen this, strengthen the importance of this topic and this type of medicines. Because what we did see is that, of course, procedures are a little bit different. The way of looking at vaccines is different. They're prophylactic. People who are being vaccinated are healthy. So you have to look at it from a different perspective and you need to always have this insight into the population and the goals you really want to reach on a population level when thinking about safety and benefits of a vaccine. And so here, I think the latest development to actually include the NITACs in the discussions and to include ECDC and to really foster the dialogue there and maybe really even train experts for this type of situation. This is really something I acknowledge very much and where I think we can do more, of course, but it is on the right path. Yeah, so that issue of uh, maybe having crisis simulations, etc. Michelle, from an industry perspective, how would you see the industry being able to contribute to such a task force? I think certainly one of contribution is that we can bring own uh, perspective and the, the learnings also from COVID-19 vaccines, again, from an industrial perspective. So uh, explain, for instance, what are the challenges when we have to develop very quickly vaccines, the support that we may need, some changes in terms of pathways that we feel needed or, or clarifications that uh, appears uh, needed. And I think there is certainly a willingness from Vaccines Europe to contribute to the reflection Just to say very recently, we conducted a quite large exercise of learnings based on the feedback from the different companies who have developed COVID-19 vaccines. So for the time being, we are compiling all these learnings. And of course, we will make sure that these learnings are shared with EMA and the European Commission with the hope that they will be taken into consideration. Thank you. Uh, So just to move on to one of the very emotive issues and political issues that have come up both for pharmaceuticals and vaccines, everybody is very concerned about the possibility of shortages of various either components or 
products like vaccines or medicines. Um, did we experience shortages of vaccines during COVID-19 pandemic so far? And if so, what were the root causes in your view of such shortages? So actually in Germany, we did. And the root cause was really that the demand increased incredibly because people were suddenly afraid of getting infections and pneumonia. And mm -hmm. so this was not related to COVID-19, but to the whole situation that people were much more aware of vaccines and of disease and the potential dangers. And this is probably one of the most frequent causes we encounter, at least in Germany, when we have problems with the supply. Right. And then another question I had was, are the measures contained in this proposal to prevent and mitigate shortages an effective way to prevent shortages? And if not, how could we better prevent shortages in your view? Michelle, do you have some views on that? Yeah. Uh, there are certainly some positive measures. I think one of them being the recognition that there is a need for a common definition of shortages. One of the observations that we have at the industry level is that it's very difficult to know what are the trends in terms of shortages, what are the causes of shortages, why? Because different member states have their own definition, and so it's very difficult to have strong statistics and a good understanding of the problem. So that's certainly a positive measure coming from the new regulation. It is being said, uh, the regulation is probably at the last stages of discussions between the commissions, the council and the parliament should normally be adopted by the end of this year. So it will be important to see also what ultimately will be in the text and see how it is implemented. So it's maybe a bit premature to have strong views on some other aspects. Although, as I said, there are certainly very good intentions. Common definition of shortage is certainly one. Uh, the implementation of shortage prevention plans as well is certainly something which is important uh, in order to try to decrease the risk of shortages in the future. Great. And um, Isabel, can I move on to another question, unless you have some remarks on that? How can we ensure appropriate mechanisms for sharing information and collaboration between regulators and the vaccine industry, in your view, and how could we support the rapid development of vaccines better? I think there are tools in place, but maybe they're not used as frequently as they should, or maybe there are some barriers there. This, I think, is Michelle to answer. But what I think is that we might need more dialogue at an earlier phase. And what has already been installed is this idea that the night tax should also be involved much, much mm -hmm. earlier, just to understand what is really the demand and the clinical need and how to deal with that and when to understand what really the hurdles would be in the licensing process. Great. Michelle, do you have anything to add on that in terms of how we can share information better? Um, I think we should have the mechanism. Certainly, that's critical. I just want to take one point mentioned by Isabel, because from our perspective, it's certainly critical. The manufacturing process of vaccines is particularly long, so people do not realize that for some vaccines, it can take over three years to produce the single batch of vaccine. And in that context, it's particularly important to have mechanisms which will allow manufacturers to be aware of the future demands so that we can adapt also our manufacturing capacity. So it's certainly something which is important and that we would like to see implemented in the future, specifically for products like vaccines. 
Thank you. Very good points. I mean, what's coming across to me is uh, the collaboration between all the parties is absolutely essential. We all knew that, but I think you've underlined it in very concrete terms, which is very helpful. Um, before we bring this podcast to a close, I just wanted to ask each of you if there was one or two messages you wanted to leave with our listeners as the key things that you think the EMA should be learning from the COVID experience and going forward as a new reinforced agency. So uh, I think the first one is that preparedness should take place between crises. So it's not at the time of the crisis that you think about the processes. So that should be done before. Just as an example, labeling packaging requirements are particularly important. What we would like is to have something very streamlined in order to facilitate production of large quantities of vaccines during crisis. So it's certainly something that EMA can do working with member states in order to have this reflection, what could be done to streamline labeling packaging requirements. The second big learning is that crises are at global level. And what we see today is that manufacturers are really struggling with the post-approval changes. I mean, by that, what I mean is that when uh, manufacturers have to make technical changes to increase the manufacturing capacity, open new manufacturing sites, for instance, they need to obtain a regulatory approval. So the fact that different countries, I'm not speaking about Europe here, but different countries worldwide have their own requirements and processes which are not aligned is extremely complex. And so a very strong request is to have a reflection at global level on global harmonization of requirements, but also the development of mechanism of reliance between authorities. What we see is that the same change is sometimes reviewed 100 times and we have many, many times the same question. So why can't authorities work better together in order to facilitate the process? Maybe a last one, you ask for two. I would like to propose a third one. The third one is on pharmacovigilance. Pharmacovigilance is certainly critical to maintain the trust in vaccines and vaccination. And what we see is that one of the data, which is certainly extremely important for the analysis of safety signals, is the vaccine coverage rate. So what we need is to have from each member state the number of people who have been vaccinated, but also with the appropriate granularity. So for instance, to know what are the rates in females versus males or by age range. And this kind of data is still very difficult to obtain today. And so there are certainly also improvements there which are needed for the benefit of all, not only for pandemic situations, but also for uh, routine vaccination. Thank you, Michelle. And Isabel, could I just turn to you for your key point that you want to leave uh, listeners with? So, yes, I agree that harmonization on the regulatory level, on international level, will be very helpful. It has been tried, and I think there was many attempts and, and very good work on the global level to do this. But, of course, there is always room for improvement. I think that what we also learned is really that manufacturing is key because you can only distribute and deploy a vaccine if it has been manufactured. And so we do need to map our manufacturing capacities and we should look into manufacturing technology and, and potential new methodology there. And I think that we should overthink this on a European level. And this is why I think that HERA is really key to pandemic preparedness. I would also agree that data availability is a very important point. 
and I would like to add that I think that the distribution of the vaccines is really key to the success. It worked, but maybe it could have been faster. And this would have implied that we would have needed manufacturing basically to start earlier and maybe with a certain risk of not having the right vaccine yet or not having it um, approved yet, but also preparing for the distribution throughout the EU is key. And additionally, for the pharmacovigilance aspect, I agree, you are only able to judge on potential adverse effects if you have the data available that you need to evaluate these. And this was definitely a major challenge. Thank you so much, both of you. Knowledge and data are certainly key. And I would just like to end by thanking both of you for a very interesting discussion and to also thank our listeners in anticipation of their tuning in to this Vaccines Europe podcast. And don't forget to share the hashtag at hashtag questions inspire solutions. Thank you all and have a very good rest of your day. Bye.